wanted to show you guys the new neck gator and uh, I'm gonna open it for you guys. Look at that. Look at that. It's nice. It's my signature right there. It wasn't designed by me at all. I had nothing to do with this. The company that's behind this believe in my vision and design some things and this is one of the things they design. It's very great material. I mean, it's really good material. Made in USA. Welcome to a Carl Jackson podcast. Season five begin right this very second. <laughs> Welcome to the Carl Jackson podcast. I am delighted and excited that you guys are watching us on CJC Television Network and listening on all podcast platforms. If you are just now seeing my face, we want to welcome you and also the people of LA, Channel 24.7. Thank you for watching this as well. We're excited about our guest today because our guest today is a legend. She should be actually not doing an interview with me because I'm not a legend yet, <laughs> but she's <laughs> but she's amazing. She's done some amazing things. Uh, you know her from a lot of stuff. I'm not even gonna say what she's done because you know her face, you know her name. Ananda Lewis, what is up? What up, Carl Jackson? How are you? I am great, man. I'm so happy that you're doing this for me today. Uh, you, you're a legend in the game. I look Aww. up to you. I'm learning from people like you. I didn't you. even know that so recently, so I oh, appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> you're a legend. Well, see, the thing is that people don't realize how many things you've done until you think about it. Right. You know, like most people go BET Team Summit, but then you forget about you had a talk show, used to do Total, total Request request Live, MTV. Yeah, still MTV, but yeah. Yeah, you did a lot of stuff, so it's like, it just depends on who remember you from what. <laughs> right. I guess that's true. There's a lot of things you can remember me from. Then I did the insider for so long. And right. even though that wasn't, you know, my mate, like my love, but I still did it. I did a lot. Yeah, I've done, I've done a lot. So what, what was the most favorite thing you've done out of all the things you've Definitely done? Definitely Team Summit. Yeah, I was Hands thinking. Down. Yeah, oh. Team Summit. And then MTV. You know, I think my first two jobs were my first, you know, my favorite jobs. Teen Summit was amazing because it was it was in line with what I was doing anyhow. I was a youth kind of counselor for a really long time in different programs. And so to be able to bring that same kind of passion for young people and for, you know, elevating ideas and, and elevating conversations to a more global, really, you know, market, definitely nationwide, um, was, was, was really special. I didn't realize what Teen Summit really was for people while I was doing. And I think that's pretty common. I don't think you ever realize what you're doing while you're doing it. I think he would ruin it if you did, you know, like you're standing there going, oh, where are this? You get, I don't know, some kind of false sense of uh, superiority. I don't know it, that that might happen. This ego trip could come up and that never happened for me because I really was in this bubble. We were doing it. And when you're really focused on something, you don't have time to look around. You don't have time to look behind you or around you or take assessment of how people perceive you you're doing what you're doing and that's how you know you're doing it well when you're not aware of any of that other stuff you're focused 
And that's how it was. We were folk. I know I was. And everybody who I worked with, I, I felt like they were too. Um, so that opportunity to me is my first time really doing real TV. And I had done, you know, I did the shy video before um, at Howard and and I did uh, another kind of really late night FM, I think it was called FM video, um, video show that I did for, you know, a pretty long time. I was really creative about making money in college. I used to work at Tower Records. I worked for the Dean's office. I held down like lots of jobs. I'm, I'm, I was a hustler before that's what it was called. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like <laughs> hustling. Cause I had to pay for school and I wasn't going home cause they weren't gonna help. My family had decided to stop helping me cause I didn't want to go to law school. And that was kind of the deal. And I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer at the time. Now I wish I was like, dang, that would have been awesome. Yeah. But anyway, at the time I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> and they were like, you want to be a teacher? Like a teacher? So I was doing things that I felt like in my heart, you know, was where I needed to be. And I had to support that myself. So I was just doing jobs. And I took that FM video job. It was also fun. And I love the people I worked with, but I had never had any desire to be on TV. I just could always do it pretty naturally because I can talk pretty easily. I talk a lot and I can talk about anything off the top of my head. So they were like, that worked. Um, and that's pretty much why I kept getting hired. That's why MTV hired me too, because they wanted someone who could do live TV really well. And to do live TV, you have to be able to think, talk, interview, listen to other people all at the same time and not have anybody know that's what you're doing. It has to look easy. So, um, you know, that, that always benefited me in my life, but yeah, MTV and, and Teen Summit, favorite, favorite jobs, definitely Teen Summit number one though. Now, how did you get the Teen Summit job? I, I read somewhere where you actually, you kind of hit on it in your answer, but you actually wasn't even looking to get in the, into entertainment. You were like, just looking for some money. Yeah. <laughs> Is that really true? Yeah. So how did you get the I team? had to support myself. Cause like I said, my family kind of cut me off. They were like, all right, that's it. You've graduated. You won't go to law school. Do your thing. You're on your own. I was like, dang, okay, well, what am I going to do? And right. I was doing this youth program that summer, the Youth Leadership Institute, um, Mayor Bear's Youth Leadership Institute in DC, where I went to school because Howard University HU. And I just, let's see, Keith Lawson and Mike Anderson, two of my friends back then. Keith Lawson just told me his story because he remembers it way better than I do. My story was very limited. I was like, oh yeah, you got me the audition. And then they hired me. He was like, girl. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's not all the way what happened. Apparently, BT didn't want to hire me because I was so unknown. I was just this like completely fresh face. No one had ever seen me before. I wasn't someone who was on auditions and trying to get into it. I was basically doing the opposite. I was like, I'm trying to go be a teacher and I need to make some money to support that because I'm not going to make any money. So I was applying for Teach for America and I was working for this youth, youth leadership institute. And Keith called me. He had talked to me about other opportunities. I had auditioned for. Um, something else at BT and didn't get it. I was too young. And, and then he said, well, there's this other show, Teen Summit. And I was like, well, what's that? Cause I didn't have cable. I wasn't paying for cable. I didn't know what it was. And he explained to me what it was. And I said, that sounds like what I'm doing right now. In the summertime. Right. I'm like, this right. is my teaching job, let's do it. So he got me the audition. I went in and apparently blew them away. Like I didn't know all this until a month ago, blew them away because I was a natural at it. Like I could read, I could talk to people. I was a speech impediment until I was eight. You'll hear it slip up every now and then when I talk too fast, but my mom put me in speech therapy for three years. I worked really hard to get rid of this lisp and I couldn't say R's or T's or L's. So I, I really had a hard time talking as a little girl. And so when my mom invested in, you know, me being able to just speak, 
I, once I got over that speech impediment, I never shut up. <laughs> My sister will tell you, I never shut up. You're still talking, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and so for me, talking became like, second nature and one of my favorite things to do because I couldn't do it for so long. I was so bad at it for so long. I got made fun of for my lisp and all my other speech impediments. And, and so once I rid myself of that, it was like freedom and I could read out loud in front of class and I could talk to people without being laughed at. And so that really did become a strength of mine. Right. So for work, I mean, it was just the perfect thing to have a strength in right, for TV. And when I could go in there and read the prompter easily. Oh, so one of the things I had to do with the speech therapy was speed reading. My mom also got me into speed reading because they kind of go hand in hand, right? I would read too fast in my mind and trip over the words coming out of my mouth. So I needed to regulate it better. So she got me into speed reading as well. And so I could read that teleprompter as it flew by and I could remember what, even like I could go a line ahead and remember what the next line said before, you know, it was crazy the way I, I even look back now and I see other people struggling with teleprompters and that kind of stuff. And I go, that is so easy for me. I never recognized it as like a really a gift. I thought everybody could do it, but I see why I kept getting hired because I could really do live TV. You didn't have to tell me much, right? You could give me bullet points on a card or you could scroll a prompter real quick. And I was, I was good. And I, I guess that was the skill, you know, that was something not common. Um, so that was part of the audition, reading the teleprompter. Then talking to the posse was part of the audition. Well, I right. did that every day. Like I right. just came out of doing that. It right. was crazy. It was like, it was really lined up for me. God was just like, this is what you're supposed to do right now. Here's your check, <laughs> right? It wasn't that big of a check because it was BT in the 90s. It was a BT check. <laughs> listen, it was better than what I had. Right, it was right, better right. Than what I had. So right. it was just all a huge blessing. And, that, you know, it's funny because you're in the middle of stuff again. Like in the middle of it, you don't really recognize it. I didn't recognize it as this big blessing. And I certainly didn't realize that TV and that show was such a big deal for other people. When I started getting really popular or like famous from it, I, that scared the mess out of me. I was like, what is this? This is not teaching. <laughs> like, I didn't expect that part. I really didn't. And I think it became something that was um, more of a problem for me um, than I expected it to be. What was the problem uh, out of it? What was the problem for you? What was it? I had, a, I had a lot of stalkers. I had a lot of stalkers and I was really fearful a lot of the time. So I lived in a bit of like, it made me really paranoid and, and super private because people were just, all, men especially, were just always on me. And, you know, that's scary for a woman who I'm still, I'm by myself most of the time. Like I'm just a real solo kind of person. I love friends and my people and all that, but I just don't tend to be around people much. And I like to do a lot of things by myself and it became difficult to do that. Like I like driving myself around, right? And, I started getting followed places and, and I know it just became, it became weird. It became scary. So your um, perspective, so part of it was hard. So your perspective of, cause you know, there was a time where every, I would say every man, but definitely every black man in America, their two hot women were Ananda Lewis and Halle Berry. I don't know if you know that, but you were like, I remember that time. You but. were like, Oh, please. I told people I bu- that you were going to do my podcast and I had guys that I didn't even, I had never talked to or haven't talked to in years asking me, could I, could I get the, get your phone number for them? And I'm just like, are you insane? Are you smoking drugs? Are you on drugs? So I'm curious. <laughs> That's funny. So I'm curious to, to know your thoughts then on being somewhat of a sex symbol. And, Cause I never heard a woman say it from that perspective. 
that it's sometimes fearful. So it's not yeah, always I mean, a beautiful thing. People were, I remember, I don't remember what year it is. My brain doesn't do details very well, but I have these like generic memories, right? So remember the young actress that got shot and killed at her doorstep? Oh yeah. So I was stopping her and he walked up to her door and shot her in the face. Like it was that era. Oh, and wow. so I didn't know what, right. you know, I lived by myself, I was by myself. Like I couldn't, I mean, I can fight, but not a man, <laughs> right. not trying to fight a dude, Right. you know? And, and just the whole idea that you would have to defend yourself at a moment's notice because you're kind of being targeted, you know, it's just scary. And I never really got over it. I'm still really private because of those early experiences. I mean, I had people show up to my door and I had, you know, just scary people grabbing me or like putting their hands on me in ways that were, you know, it was really inappropriate, but what, what do I do? And I'm, I'm kind to people. So it was always difficult for me to also be like, you doing? I don't really do that. So I, I don't know. I found myself in some situations. There was this, there was this situation at this club in Atlanta. And this was at, when I was at Team Summit. It was probably like 96, right before I left for MTV, maybe early 97. And I was in this club. I was with just one friend, girlfriend with me. And I knew a bunch of people in the club, you know, like Jermaine Dupree was there. And there was other people there who knew me, who I knew from work and friends. And this one guy just got really, he was like, yeah, you want to dance? And he grabbed my waist. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I just don't want to be touched and da, da, da. And maybe I had been drinking and maybe I said something not real crazy, but I was just, you know, give me my boundaries kind of thing. And he was like, bitch, fuck you. Blah, blah, blah. He literally got in my face and he, I grabbed him because uh, I will grab some shit. Like I will grab, some shit. I will grab. Some shit. I grabbed a champagne bottle off the bar because we were standing over the bar and I had it in my hand. Like I thought I was going to have to crack this dude head open. It was crazy and Jermaine actually sent his security over there I think that's what happened <laughs> my recollection is that JD sent his security over there and he that dude broke us up but then club security came over and just because I was in a beef they, they kicked threw me you out. out oh wow they kicked me out I'm like, it didn't matter they kicked me out so I don't know it was just all the time things would happen when I would just be out by myself or just like not with security. Nobody ever sent me nowhere with security. BT didn't put security on me, MTV didn't put security on me. Like if I was working, they did. MTV was very good about that. But it wasn't something I thought I had to think about until things happened. And when things happen, it's too late. You know, right. so I had some near squabbles with a couple of dudes who just felt like they should be able to just touch me and grab me and you know, kiss me right. or whatever the hell they were gonna do, and like, no, what are you doing? So what? How did? How did? Uh, so I guess you really don't see the whole uh, essence of being a sex symbol as a good thing, really, huh? I mean, I remember being named one of people's fifty most beautiful. Yeah, and things kind I of remember that too. That it was, it was, it was <laughs> on my uh, on my uh, my wall. <laughs> don't tell nobody though. Well, thank you. <laughs> but to me, you know, a shift really happened then because I never, again, I wasn't raised with that. I wasn't raised with, oh, you're so pretty. Oh, you're so cute. My grandma didn't let people say stuff like that to me or my sister who's also, you know, beautiful. And she wasn't about that. She was about what do your grades look like? What do you know how to do? Come with me to collect these rent checks and figure out how, she wasn't about that pretty stuff. And so right. I wasn't about that pretty stuff, right. right? And because of that, I mean, I guess I got it from other people, they'd say, oh, you know, when I was grown and out the house, oh, you're this or that. But I never really believed it because I wasn't raised thinking that. And I wasn't raised believing that was valuable or important mm. or, you know, and, and I got preyed upon a lot because of it. So it was something I definitely shunned because I was like, oh God, this again, like, 
I'm so smart. Like, give me a chance to show you who I am without it being about. But, but let me also say that I know being attractive in other people's, you know, standards got me in some of these doors. My personality, my intellect was able to keep me in the room, but I'm not undermining the fact that, you know, being attractive was valuable for me in my life. I don't want to, you know, downplay that. I know that it's important. It's just something that I was never fully comfortable with and didn't fully embrace. So when it came time to be like the it girl or the sex symbol, I was like, oh, Jesus, like, leave me alone, you know, just because it had caused so many problems in my life up to that point. So I've, I've, you know, I've been around you in, in person. You're a very beautiful lady in person. Have you ever had women be jealous of that? I've had women hit on me. Um, I guess I've had women be jealous, but women don't really go, I'm jealous of you. You know, right, they just right. try to undermine you in other ways, you know, right. But yeah, right. I've, I've experienced that, but I experienced that like in high school, junior high, I, I was used to dealing with that. I think the the upside right now for me, like in 2021, women are so different. Like yeah, the energy are. of women yeah. is so different. I'm so grateful for it because totally there agree. wasn't that same level of sisterhood and camaraderie and, you know, yes. supporting each other. Um, I had that, like I had that with the, my women friends and even the industry women friends, like I felt like that, but, but it wasn't, you know, there was more of that catty stuff that society would play against um, women going on. And that was so dark and dirty and evil. Like we are so much more powerful when we can love on each other and support each other and, and just have a be about some real genuine, I, I love, like you're a reflection of me, you're another woman trying to make it in this anti-female world and so let's let's have each other's back. Let's at least, you know, not degrade each other and, and hurt each other. And there was a lot of that going on back then. I can't say that I really, you know, Carl, I really feel like I bubble myself just in general in my life. I keep a bubble. And so a lot of the stuff that could be going on right outside of me, I don't really see it or feel it because I protect myself from it. So mm. even though I could hear from other people, this one's talking about you or this one said that, or I'm like, they're not saying it to my face. So what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> like, I'm not wasting any time on someone who won't say something in my face. Dealing with like, well, that's crazy to me. I don't even live like that. So people have a problem with me. They can either tell me or not. Probably either way, it's not gonna change my life much because my life is really right here. I'm real good with blinders. And I think more people need to, to have those blinders. We lose a lot of time and energy on people talking about something. Who cares? Like, right. so what? Right. They right. using their time to talk about you. That's a compliment because they could be using their time to uplift themselves and they're not. So right. they need to do some personal work clearly. And you need to just keep it pushing. Like that's not even how I'm going to spend my energy. Um, and I haven't really had problems like that, that I'm aware of, you know, that I've personally had problems with because I don't give it that kind of attention. I just won't. Yeah. I was just telling a friend of mine, um, today we were talking about how in this day and time i we i've never known this many men who have gossip blogs and i've never He's seen right. that much in my life my grandfather um what he owned two businesses he would get up at four in the morning he would do the you know do his work he smoked cigars in the afternoon mm -hmm. at six after dinner and mm -hmm. then after dinner he would do more work he never what kind of work did he do i, I never remember him gossiping um, he had a dry cleaner and he had uh, a couple of shoe shine. Um, oh, wow. He was like work, work. He that worked, work. Labor work. Yeah. I, never, I remember he never uh, gossiped or talked about anybody. Because it's, it's a waste. Listen, how would he have time to do everything he did if he was talking about somebody else? That exactly. If it anything, he gave compliments. He would give compliments yeah. with praise people because he said, 
it, his motto was, it's nice to be nice. That was his motto. Yeah. Nice to Aww, be nice. You come from good people. <laughs> so, well, you can tell that. Uh-huh. I said, you come from good people, but I can tell that. Yes, thank you. Um, so let me ask you this. The San Diego used to be, used to compete or be com- a competitor uh, as a model, right? No. So that was wrong, what I read? Where'd you read that? I read that you were you entered competitions or something for modeling. Um, I was eight years old and I saw okay. this flyer. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like I was grown. Oh, okay, okay. I was okay. eight years old and I saw this flyer for Little Miss Black San Diego. And I there was something in the prize. I can't even remember what it was, but it was probably money. <laughs> Because <laughs> you They're love money. Some money. And I was Give like, me oh, some money. <laughs> right. What? Well, y'all got a bag? I'm coming. Um, right. So I wanted to do that. And I went now to I know how to get her. Now I know how to get her to see it. CJC, just get the bag right. Right. Like, I'm sorry. What's the beat? Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, oh, hey. Because I didn't do jobs that had residual, you know, that right. people still give. I did jobs that were live. I, my money is spent and I'm right. always, you know, looking to right. make more. So I didn't have that kind of cushy situation. Right. Um, so I, I went into the Little Miss Black San Diego pageant. And this was right after my speech impediment cleared, too. And I was feeling myself. I was like, I could talk. <laughs> Y'all can't stop me. I was on one. I begged my grandmother to let me do this pageant. She had to take me to all the rehearsals. She had to make my dress because she wasn't going to spend money on a gown. You know, she was going to make it because she was an amazing seamstress. And so it was just this, I don't know why I wanted to do it, but I had a great time. I won and I got the money. I got the check. <laughs> so I was money. like, hey, that worked. Um, but it was a really great experience. Like for a kid who had a speech impediment, who wasn't like in the mirror all the time, it was such validation, you know? Right. It was like, okay. I can talk because they ask me questions and, you know, I could speak well. Finally, it was, it was fun. I had a great time doing that pageant. I never did another pageant in my life. It wasn't like it started me on the pageant route, but it was that one thing. It was about that, that check and the fun, you know, and um, that was the last time I did it. Wow. That's crazy. So talk a little bit about your grandmother. You seem to be very, very uh, close to her or was close to her. What was she like? What did she give you? What values did she give you? that you carried throughout your career? Because you've had a very, very uh, uh, amazing career and it's not over. So what has she taught you that has kept you and got you to this point and will continue to to lead you the rest of the way in your career, your path? Oh gosh, my grandma was. So my mom and dad divorced when I was two. And I probably, when I was about three or four, my mom decided to move back to San Diego. I think she had tried it on her own, you know, tried being a single mom, two daughters and no help from her ex. And so she just was like most single moms, like, I can't do this by myself. It's, it's too hard even back then. And so my grandma was, you know, always there for her family. And she said, yeah, come on back home. So we moved back into the house my mom was raised in that my grandfather built. And my, my, my grandmother and my grandfather had, you know, divorced when my, my, my mom was probably just out of high school, they waited till both their girls were done with high school. So they'd been divorced for a long time, but my grandma was still in the home. She still ran the business and my grandfather had had moved. I think at this point, oh yeah, my my grandfather was still alive at this point, but he didn't live in San Diego. Anyway, we moved in with my grandmother and then my mom, you know, really, she was what I understand now, because it's so funny to me because I have had such a tumultuous relationship with my mom as 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 a girl growing up because I blamed her for a lot of the stuff that 
led her to be a single mom, I think. Like mm -hmm. in my mind, you know, she should have stayed in the relationship. You just don't understand. You have right. no concept of what's going on with your parents when you're a child. You really don't know. Right. All I knew is my dad was gone and I was in this new situation. And so it must have, my mom, I was still with my mom, so it must be her fault, right? right? Like it's kid logic. It doesn't make any sense, but it's kid logic. And so, I, and I, I don't know, I think it created this uh, resentment toward my mother from me um, that didn't really show itself till I was more of a teenager. But anyway, my, my mother was dealing with all these issues I could not have understood that now as an adult who's been through some breakups and some heartache, I can understand it now. And your she mom, and your mom. And my mom, right. No, I said, and, and my mom. mother. And I'm a mom, right. right. I understand it from a single mom's perspective too. And she just needed a break. She, you know, I can imagine her at that time just being overwhelmed and needing to get away. And so that's what she did. She got away. She went out of the country for what to me as a little kid seemed like a year, but you know, your time ain't right either. You don't know what, <laughs> how many months has passed. It ended up, maybe it was like six months or whatever, but it felt like a long time to me. And I felt that abandonment, right? I felt that that gap of this person who'd been like, I was a breastfed baby till I was two or three. Like she took great care of me for all those early years. And then boof, you're gone. And not being able to understand it as a kid, I think I built some resentments. And so my grandmother was this mother figure for me, you know, that was just consistent and always there. And my grandma was hot, like, she wasn't like some loving doting grandma. She was like, well, whoop your ass. She was hardcore, but she was there. You know, and, and that tough love, you still are bonded to the person who gives you that because you, it's the boundaries that we need as children. And, you know, she did all that stuff. And so my grandma was a, a single parent, I'll say like single grandmother, even raising my, my sister and I helping my mother out. And it, I saw her, like I said before, collect rent. She was a business owner. Um, she turned the store that she and my grandfather had into a rental property, so she rented it out. So I, my sister and I would go with her every month to collect her checks. She owned apartment buildings and this property and that, you know, she was constantly doing, she was like boss before boss was boss, right? And that's who I had as uh, an example. And I had examples of her of not so great things too. You know, nobody's perfect, but the beautiful things that I got from her were her dependence and, and how to get that bag. Um, how to get that bag, number one. <laughs> she got that bag. <laughs> multiple bags. <laughs> how to have multiple bags coming in. <laughs> I got that. And and based on property ownership, too. Like, she was really into property ownership. Real estate. Sell property, real estate was all, that was her thing. Taking care of people, too. My grandmother would cook meals for older people who were, like, shut in their homes. And she would come feed them. And she would make them Christmas planters. Like, I remember picking... Um, plants out of her yard she has this huge backyard we still own the property my family does this huge backyard with all these plants and she loved her yard like she was in the yard working tending doing she had such a green thumb you know we would smuggle plants back for her from Mexico me and my sister would like be sitting on the plants and then she'd say act like you're asleep so the border patrol wouldn't even wake us up she was bringing stuff in and I mean she was just this renegade renaissance wonderful woman who knew how to do so much she could fix her own home she sewed her own clothes she tended her garden she cooked she entertained people she threw these amazing birthday parties for us like she was you know amazing and, and most women in her generation like they had to do it all nobody was doing it for them especially a black woman my grandmother was a black woman and she and my grandfather couldn't have even bought the house they bought 
with my grandfather hadn't gone to buy it. She couldn't show up at the, the, you know, the land really, it wasn't a home. He built it himself. So the land they wanted to purchase, she couldn't even go. My grandfather looked really white. Um, and my grandmother was very brown skinned black woman from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and she couldn't even go. My grandfather had to show up to buy that, buy that property or they wouldn't have been able to purchase it. So, you know, she lived in a time where she was very limited and she didn't let any of that stop her. She, in her own circle, her one of her favorite things to say was charity begins at home. The charity she did was right around her. I saw her taking care of the people right around her, right, beautifully. And her dependence on God, she was constantly praying. She would, I mean, literally, she drove this big old hefty Impala brown metal chunk, you know, them old Impalas, like it was like a 65 or something crazy, a chunk of a metal car. And I mean, she was little and she rolled that sucker and she would get into these, like she hated going on the freeway. So all the time on the freeway, she'd be like, like nervous. And she would just start praying. She'd say, Father, you know, get me through this thing. Get me through this, keep us safe. Like she was just constantly praying. So I learned prayer and and dependence on God from her and having a personal relationship. Like she wasn't big on going to church. We did go to church, but she wasn't like, I have to go to church to talk to God. She was talking to God all the time. Come on. Right? Yeah. And so I just, and also her parents, like her family that she came from, a lot of them had passed and she was constantly talking to them. So I learned this connection to the spirit world, you know, of people who we've lost, not really being gone, but being right here for us. And she would call on her mother and call on her father. And that was something I, I didn't see anybody doing. And so I learned how to sew from her. She tried to like, technically teach me and I was too young to be paying that much attention but I watched her so a lot I could just stand there and watch her because she was always working I learned not to sit still for long my grandma did not take breaks she didn't go on vacation she didn't sit she was like constantly doing something she had this little box I think I still have this radio in storage it's so sad because I keep everything but she had this radio that could tune into a tv station remember those oh yeah she would have that out in the yard listening to her stories, Young and the Restless, Guiding Light, Days of Our Lives. Like she listened to all the stories all day wow. long. And I could hear that damn radio down the street. I'm walking home from elementary school. I could hear her in the backyard listening to her stories. So she was constantly working. Like she wasn't someone who sat around and did nothing. And to this day, I have a hard time sitting around doing nothing. I have a hard time respecting people who sit around doing nothing. I can't stand somebody sitting around and watching TV for six hours and not moving. Like, get up, do I, it bothers, I, it deeply bothers me. And I know that's my issue. I can't judge people for what they no, do. No, it's my issue too, me. the same way. I can't do it. Like it makes me it. crazy. Like all this time that you're sitting here wasting and you have stuff you need to do. Yes. I have a list. Like there is no time where I'm without something to do. So when people say to me, oh, let's go hang out. Let's chill. I'm like, I'm not, I don't chill. I have like literally my brain goes crazy when I'm just sitting around talking or catching somebody up and what I've done. Like, listen, if you weren't there, then you ain't, you might not know what happened. Cause I don't sit around and like do, I don't do that very well. It's in my gut, in my being, it's not what I can do. And it does make it hard in some of my relationships. Cause I think people expect you to just like, you my friend. So you're going to call and catch up. And I don't, I don't do it well. And it comes from a very, you know, early experience for me where my grandmother like shunned that. She hated lazy people, hated lazy people and was not one. So I just 
came away with so much being raised by her. And you know, the reason I stopped work in, in 01, um, when I was doing the talk show, there was a lot of reasons, but the main reason I left New York, cause I would have just stayed there, gone back to MTV. They offered me my job back when the show looked like it wasn't gonna continue, which thank God, cause I was so sick of doing that. But- We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about that. You wanna talk about that later? Yes. I'll just say this for, for right now though. The reason I went home was because she poured so much into me. like. She stopped her retirement years to take care of my sister and I, right? The only reason I had the childhood I had was because of her. And I just could not imagine her dying in a nursing home mm. by herself, mm. not able to really sow what she planted, you know? Yeah. And what she planted was in me and yeah. in my sister and in our family. So I always get emotional talking about it because I see what it could have been. and. For me, yeah. the choice was clear. It was like, yeah. I'm going home because there's no way I'm not going to be there for her. There's no way. And there's not many people on the face of this earth that could ask me to do that and have me say yes. She yeah. was probably the only one. And I did. And it was the best two years of my life taking care of her at the end of her life because of everything that she poured into me. It was like, I got to pay her back. And yeah. how often do you get to do that? Like, how often do you really get to give back? to someone who gave you everything. You know, usually we just sit in this desire to give back to them, but I got to really go do it. And it's one of the things I'm proudest of in my life. That's beautiful. And I bet it probably means so much to you considering the fact that uh, your childhood was, was very difficult and she took you in as if, literally as if she birthed you. Yeah, she you really know? did. It was like a and second She was a nurturer like that, you know? Right. And I, I saw her taking other people in too. Like, I was like, oh, it ain't personal. This is just what you do, right? You taking dogs, you taking cats, you taking you should You should do she comedy. She care of people, you know? She took care of people and that's what she did. And um, it was beautiful. It's, it's this long lost art, I think, you know, it's yeah. faded. We don't take care of each other like that anymore. And, and maybe there's a reason for that, but I, I know it took a lot out of her. I know it was, stressful for her you know but I know in the end she was really happy that she also felt taken care of because we talked about that a lot and the two years I took care of her we did everything together we prayed together we fixed my mom's kitchen together like she was still about it she was like listen this body is failing me but my spirit is strong yeah and and it was beautiful it was like just amazing full circle you know that, show, that says so much about you though as a person to take to basically leave Hollywood for a minute and just become uh, a, you know, a caretaker. And it's weird because I don't think I know a lot of people that would have done that because there's, they get caught up in the, that part of whatever that is in Hollywood. Like the these, ego of it. Right. The ego yeah. of it. I never got into that part though. Yeah, so that part wasn't clearly. a big for me. I was like, I'm ready to leave. Y'all are driving me crazy. Right. <laughs> Right. Let me go be normal again because I love normalcy. I was craving right. it. It was the talk show whole thing was like too much. That was the edge for me. I was so like, talk, so, tell, so talk a little bit about the talk show because you did one season. And if I know anything about talk shows, which I know a little bit, you got producers, you got directors, you got writers, you got bookers. Uh, uh, you got, yeah. <laughs> so for you, I know that in itself was like, uh, but then <laughs> tell us your perspective of that. What was that like for you? And why did you? you know, decide that, hey, I can't take no more of this, I'm out. Uh, one of the difficulties my grandmother and I have had my whole life when she was, you know, here and I was growing up 
we're both Aries. I was born three, four days before her. I'm March 21st. She was March 24th. So my days. sister is March 22nd. Shout out to women. Oh, so you know what kind of people we talk oh, about. Oh, I know what you like. Trust me. <laughs> so trying to tell me what I'm going to do, that's a problem. That's, that's a, a whole problem. problem. That's not a half a problem. That's a whole problem. That is an entire problem. That's it, a problem. It triggers things. Yes. And fires start within me that will burn your ass. And yes. it's not pretty and it's not fun. And I don't care who you are. So I, me and my grandma were battling a lot, especially as I moved into adolescence. You know, we had moved out of our house by the time I was like nine or 10, but I, it, we still battled because my mom, I mean, my poor mom, I, I just ran all over my mother. I just had way too big of a personality. My mom was like really kind and gentle and soft. You know, I was like, that's it. <laughs> you don't stand a chance. Well, you push over. My fire, yes, right. <laughs> so I would get sent to my grandma's to get a woman. <laughs> all right. My mom wasn't, yeah, she wasn't really big on the, you know, she wasn't strong enough to discipline me. God bless. She wasn't strong enough to discipline me. And so my grandma still was the disciplinarian for a lot of it. And I say all that to say that my grandmother and I butted heads. So I'm, I was used to butting heads with people I care deeply about. So you're a stranger coming, trying to tell me what to do. We go, I don't even like, it's a problem. You don't even understand. Right. It, you it don't ain't know. Even, and I it ain't even a problem. Yeah. It, no. Right. <laughs> I think they thought that I was Hollywood. Like all the people who will just do whatever, just tell me what to do. I just want to be on TV. Just let me be cute. Not, not me. Y'all got me confused with somebody. And I don't know who it is, but you're wrong. And let's let let me let me gently <laughs> first correct you. And then the correction's gonna be harder and harder and harder the more you try to strong arm me into some shit I'm not interested in doing. Come on. And listen, it was even a problem at all my other jobs, but it was less of a problem because my name wasn't on it. I was like, listen, this is your show. I definitely I know my job. Like I'm here to host. I'm not, I don't own nothing. You ain't put my name on nothing. Cool, be cool. You want me to do it like this? I'll do it as close to like that as I can within reason, still being myself. Cool, cool. And it worked like that. But when it's your and name, talk show, right now you have my name up there. Right, right. Now I need things to. You go put my name on it. I need it to look like me. I need it to feel like me. I need it to actually be me. If it's going to have my name on it, if not, take my name off. I actually stopped in the middle of one of the tapings and I was like, I'm not doing this shit. I I was on stage. An audience full of people, and I was like, "Let me ask y'all something. Whose name is up there on the thing? Whose name? Turn around and look at whose name it is. Stop the whole product. I didn't even understand how <laughs> fully disrespectful. I literally, I'm a hothead. I'm a hothead. I'm. I admit that I'm an Aries. I'm, I got a lot. I got a lot of things. Oh, my sister. Me. My sister's the same way. Trust me. I get it. And listen, we'll be the nicest person. I love people. The most, I will giving, the most nice. But when I get to the Ooh. When it's time out, it's time out. Mm. And when you push me against the wall, I'm gonna come out swinging on you so hard. So I said, and I made the audience turn around. I said, look at whose name is on the, that wall. Cause they have my name real big on the back of the wall. Even though I didn't want it up there. <laughs> I was like, don't put my we'll name take advantage. <laughs> Man, I said, whose name? They were like, no, this. I said, right. So you would think that if I say, so I don't remember what the issue was. It, some, some, it was always something like the producers were being told by the EP, to do something in a way that I already said that's of not course. how we're doing it, and yeah, right. but I didn't know that I, you know, I didn't have that power. So, but I, I'm the name of the show, so right. I got my power. I had it all. I was not prepared right. for the trickery that that level of TV contains. Not all of it. There were some great experiences too. Really amazing people that worked on, on my show, but what I dealt with on the level of not being able to get things done the way I wanted them done 
to me, it was trickery. And it was trickery that started in the contract, which I wasn't, you know, all the way. I was, you know, 26, 27. I was just too young to even be doing that. So, you know, hindsight, 2020, I would never do a talk show again. I did 186 shows in that little short eight month period we were taping. I felt like they were trying to kill me. I know they weren't, but the work, the work of it, you know, some days we were taping three shows. It was just, it was crazy. And on top of that kind of schedule to be fighting constantly with producers for what I felt like was basic stuff, you know, and to want things to be ethically what lined up with me, it it just, it couldn't have lasted. I was miserable. I was, you know, threatening people at the end of it and cussing out the owner. Like it was horrible. It got really bad. I didn't have anybody really there um, on an agent level to fight the, you know, to be the good cop, bad cop. I couldn't be the good cop because I had to be the bad cop too. Cause I didn't really have anybody who had my back like that. Right. I did have agents, but they had their own thing. With it was just not nobody was really on my team, right? Except agents my agents were looking my, for the money anyway, <laughs> and they made big deals behind my back. So that's what their motivation was. But I had a really great um, um, PR person, Marvette Brito. I had a really great, you know, assist. I had good people around me, but not in the positions that I needed them to be in because that's not what they did, you know. Marvette fought some serious battles for me. I will say that, but she couldn't fight the battles that my agents are supposed right. to fight. It was just like a whole, I didn't understand the hierarchy and how stuff worked. It was just crazy. So I, um, I lost it a couple of times on people, Carl. I was like, listen, go fight somebody in here. Cause that Aries kept getting triggered and I just couldn't do it. It, may, it was physically making me ill. And I was, um, I lost my voice for about two weeks. They had to shut down production. I had polyps on my vocal cords. And, you know, if you know about what I'm learning, this crash course in health I've gotten the last two years too, kind of started back then, like recognizing that emotionally, if you are suppressed and if you are squashing your real self, if you are not able, right, to be your full expression, your body will shut down on you in certain ways. Your, your body will start to, to mess with you and be like, oh, that's not what we're doing. So uh, you want to try to sustain that? Cool. But how about you can't talk for two weeks? I had polyps that I had to get dealt with um, that literally came from all the screaming matches and feeling stifled, feeling um, silenced. You know, I would say certain things on my show, on my my show. And when they didn't agree with them, they would just edit them out. Yeah, that's crazy. They would just be gone. Yeah. I would go watch it at home and I'd be like, that's not what I said right there. And that's not what I said to that. They would edit things and move things around to make it sound like I was doing. I was like, y'all are really about to make me blow the building up. Like, for real. <laughs> this is how people go crazy. <laughs> like, And I felt myself starting to slip. You know, right. I was going through a lot of emotional stuff in my private life anyway. Um, at the time, that was really challenging. But all of it was just layers, 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 layers too much. And I was the volcano about to blow up. And I said, listen. I'm either going to blow up and I'm like, I'll probably be in jail. I'm going to ruin my life. And like a week after that thought, my grandma called and she was like, um, if you find me dead in the backyard by my favorite rock, just know that I went the way I wanted to go. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she told me what was going on and how her, how, you know, it was like all this stuff going on too. And she said, I just, I, I, I can't, you know, live alone like this anymore. And, and the nursing home has been talked about. And I was like, oh my God, no. So I think I left in May of 2002. September 11th happened the day after the show launched. And even by September 11th, I was done. But that happened and knocked us off air for a while. 
shifted everything all over the industry. Of course, you remember, right. but oh, yeah. it was um, yeah, it was devastating. And so the New York was in that not accessible. We couldn't tape for what it was. All these things, and then this happened with my grandmother um, coming out of that. And I was like, yeah, it's it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go. Now I wish I would have left with a little more. Um, respect for the situation I had been in, but I had lost all respect for the situation, quite honestly. I was a young hothead who was having a really hard time trying to be stuffed into this box that I didn't fit in, my legs hanging out, my arm broke, you know, I was like really struggling. And uh, and so I called some friends, they drove out from San Diego, we rented two U-Hauls, packed my stuff up and rolled out. Uh, I said goodbye with like a lunch thing that I threw for my staff, but I didn't tell anybody I was leaving. You didn't even tell the producers that you were leaving? You know, that's, to me, that's one of the bigger regrets in that time. Like I really should have handled it better, but I oh, knew there wow. were gonna be implications and I just didn't want to deal with them. I was like, man, whatever. Y'all already know I'm miserable. I've been fighting with y'all every day. Like it's not gonna be a surprise. But no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. That was a, that was a, I, I know, had. I know why you did that. That was a power move because you felt like they, you felt powerless. Yeah. That was a power I told move. Them, I said, you should get somebody else right and put their name on it because right. you're not doing this to me anymore with my name right. on it yeah do, you, do you, like you yeah, got you, cookie cutter people all oh, people would kill for your job let them bring right. them in let right. them have it that was my attitude yeah that was your that was kind of your way of saying i i, I get the last laugh because you were young you didn't know how to express i really didn't know how to right. i really did it was it was it was bad but you know ancient history now. So you didn't even say anything. So that's when they put out the press release that it got canceled. They really didn't get canceled. You just left. I don't even, I don't remember them doing the press release because when I got to California, I changed my phone number. They couldn't even call me. Wow. I just, but the bad part is for me, like I didn't, again, I wasn't seeing things the way I should have or could have. I left everything and everybody hanging like that. Like I had friendships. Families that I, and friends that work in those yeah. set, right? Yeah. And they needed the yeah. check. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and friends, like industry right. friends, like people that I talk to all the time, people you would know, like people just, I just disappeared and right. I needed for my sanity to do that. But I didn't, I didn't really take full assessment of the fallout it would create in, um, in my life in other ways. But do you think, do you think you know, a little bit of it though, was that you were, and I'm not, I am not trying to psychoanalyze nothing. I have a sister who's who when she, I pissed off so bad one time, she left her house at 10 o'clock at night, came to my house and told me off for like 30 minutes. So I, I'm not trying to read you, trust me. <laughs> I don't mess with Aries. But no, I mean- what At you, all. At all. But do you think part of it was because maybe you were a little bit afraid of how big you was about to get even bigger than what you already were? And it was kind of like freaking you out a little bit subconsciously. I'm just asking subconsciously because you know they were going to give you an 18, 15, 18 year run if you had played the game. Maybe, you know, they were going to make you the Jenny Jones, the, the, you know, the Oprah. They were getting ready to do that. So do you think that a part of you were probably feeling like, uh, I, I subconsciously, like, uh, I'm, I don't know if you I know, want this. If it was subconscious, I wasn't aware of it anyway. Okay. So that was not in the forefront of my mind. I knew that I... I knew that I didn't want to do this anymore. Okay. Like, I knew okay. I couldn't show up and be misrepresented anymore. Right. I knew I couldn't show up and not even be able to wear the clothes I wanted to wear anymore. They wanted to put me in suits all the time and stuff. I was a freaking fashion icon for years, right? How are you going to put me in a suit? What are you doing? And if it's a suit, 
let me get a fly suit. Like you were trying to turn me into a 60 year old white woman. Oprah, right. Or Not Jean, even Oprah, or Sally. Like, Sally. You're trying to turn me into somebody I cannot be. I can only right. be me. And right. I heard that whole like, oh, the next Oprah. I didn't want that. That right. wasn't my goal. And so, right. I mean, I could see doing it a certain way, but I could not see doing it that certain way with those particular people because they didn't want to do it. They were right. clear they didn't want to do it. They kept bringing me stuff. I, you know, there was another time when they brought these pants. They had, I don't know, honey, it was so many things. And the people who were on that ride with me will tell you that how it was. It was like, it was crazy. It was really crazy. I felt like I was going crazy. Like, I know I just had this conversation. Now y'all acting like we never had this conversation type thing. Right. Right. You know, we're like, wait, but so am I crazy? Right. And I, again, the safety issue, I had way more stalkers then who would show up at the studios. They were making me park two blocks away in the truck and walk, you know, by myself. It was, I had a great security guard, Sheldon, who would make sure he came down and pick me up. But that was after a couple of things. Like it was just, I didn't feel cared for enough. I didn't feel protected enough. And I felt like it was bad timing. And I was like, you know what? nah this my you know my answer is no <laughs> and so it was around the time where I think you know they were either going to pick it up or not and I had to make sure they didn't pick me up because I I couldn't do it anymore ah got it got it I couldn't do it, it anymore was syndicated. I was literally it was it, it became it became dangerous for me in a lot of ways I'll say that it became super dangerous for me in a lot of ways and some of them having to do with myself like it just wasn't okay. I wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. <laughs> Nothing was okay. <laughs> and I know even with it not being the level that I wanted it to be, that show did some really beautiful things. And I remember having a great impact in people's lives. And I remember being able to accomplish some, some significant goals. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. I just knew I couldn't continue the opportunity. And that my life, literally my life was worth more than whatever anybody could promise like it didn't matter if I was going to have all that if I was miserable right. it didn't matter happiness okay. has always been my goal and so none yeah. of that mattered if I was as miserable as I was miserable and nothing could change that but leaving so I was my ask, that was my next question so did you after leaving did you ever miss it or want to go back to New York did you ever feel you didn't oh wow. not one not one minute oh wow nope. So because really didn't like it you know at some point we have i think people have this idea that things are supposed to go on forever and ever and ever that's not true like some things are here for a really short season right. and then you know we see people trying to elongate the season and going too far and now you sick of them you know and what i mean like people stay look, too long places. themselves right yeah it's like right. you trying too hard no just take a break like just take a break just go sit down somewhere for a minute and i just had a natural understanding that listen not for the sake of what anybody else thought I needed a break. And if I kept pushing myself past this point, that was my breaking point. It, again, I, I was, you know what I was afraid of? I was afraid of what was going to happen if I pushed myself past that point. Mm -hmm. Because when I get past that point, I'm, I've worked really hard to be a nonviolent person, but my nature is to like, yeah. mess stuff up my nature is to go after it like right. yeah and i don't even want to i don't even i'm not i don't even want to be a fire starter like that you right. know what I, mean? right. I just don't and when i see it coming i have to choose to back away mm. because otherwise it's going to be really super ugly and i don't want to deal with the ramifications of that knowing i could have stopped it so, you, so for you, me you it was yourself. about to be right. yeah yourself yeah. it was right. the best thing for yourself was to get out of there right that wow. it was the safest 
thing for me and the, yeah, the most sane thing for me. And I'm telling you, man, one day somebody will talk about it, but nobody around me is going to talk about it right now. You know, shoot, nobody's living forever. One day I'm gone. Y'all can tell the story once I'm not here. It got ugly and it got physically ugly. <laughs> and so it was just, was it, it was did, you ever, did you ever feel racism in it? Or you just think it was just Hollywood? Oh, no, nah, there was definitely racism. You know, it, racism was so common at the time. We would call it racism. It was like, <laughs> we aren't even identifying. Move away, that. nigger. <laughs> go with, over here, nigger. Right. You know, black girls should be grateful. <laughs> Listen. Right. I, I mean, yeah, all of that played into it. And then when I asked for black EPs and all that, like it, was, it just wasn't happening. So, right. Yeah. I don't think that was meant to be for me. I really believe I was meant to come home and take care of my grandmother. I don't know who else would have done that. And so with all the whatever it was, it was the right thing for me to leave. And maybe I did it in the wrong way, but it was absolutely the right choice. And I get that that is weird to people because people's priorities are different than mine. People's priorities are be as famous as you can, make it up. Okay, I do have a priority in making money, but you know, be as famous as you can, do whatever you need to do to get the, I'm not gonna do whatever I need to do for the bag. I'm gonna do what I can do within reason and my own ethical standards. What I wanna do. Right? Right, Right. so I'm just not gonna just do whatever. And and to me, that line of whatever was being crossed because it wasn't me. You You want me to be somebody else and I'm not ever gonna be willing to be that. You're gonna have to get whoever else that is you want and get them because I'm gonna be me. And if you don't like that, that's okay. But you don't get to make me change because you don't like it. I get to get the fuck out. Right. Pardon my français. <laughs> you but, know what the problem was? You know. I'm going to tell you what the problem was. The problem was they treated you like it was your lifelong dream to be Yes. Famous. And it wasn't. Right. And, and they expected they, me to do whatever they, to hold right. on to it. They didn't and know. I was like, no, I have a very low threshold. Right. They didn't know you was just doing it for the bag, if nothing else. But you and for the helping people and of you, it. And you wanted to have fun. You didn't do that much of that. And you wanted to have fun. Yeah. You know, you want to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. And so that was the mistake they made. They thought you just was like most Hollywoodish people who I'll do whatever, make right. me famous. What? Right. No. You got me real, real confused. You have me all wrong. <laughs> and then when they would find out from my own mouth, you know, my own interaction with them, what it really was, they were like, oh my God, <laughs> like that's what, that's what she's gonna do. Like you gonna come in here and really cuss people out? I am because you won't listen to me talking right. You won't listen to me being calm and considerate and respectful. So now I gotta take it to another level. And you don't think I'm capable of that level because you haven't been paying attention. I need to that's see that what that was. I need to see that movie, you cussing out the, the president of King World. <laughs> no, you don't. I felt so bad when I heard he, you know. I want to see that movie. God, rest his, rest his soul, Roger King. He um he was really amazing in the beginning. I felt like we were going to really have something, you right. know, but the initial conversation just wasn't what the deal said, you know, and, and by the time I got in it, it was like, he wanted me to conform and I'm not a conformist, so I, we got a prop. You know, we'd be on the phone hollering and stuff and when I heard that he actually passed away, like on the phone, I don't know if that's true or not, it was what was in the news, but he passed away, you know, on a phone call with the argument, I thought flashbacks, I was like, oh my God, that could have been us, you know, we would go at it. And it was just, I knew that I should have been able to behave a different way, but behaving that different way was a violation of who I am, fundamentally. Mm, say I'm that not, again. Say yeah, that again. I knew I was supposed to be able to 
behave a different way, but behaving that way was a violation of who I am. That's and I'm always going to choose myself. That's a teacher. I'm always going to choose myself because I'll get my own damn bag, but I'm not going to become something other than me for the sake of taking your money and doing things your way and playing nice. Damn that. I can't live with it. And that's what really happened. I stopped being able to live with myself. I had crossed all the boundaries and red lines in my own sand that I was willing to cross. I was done doing that. And they didn't want to give any on their end. It wasn't like, okay, we're, we'll let you, you know, okay, well, no, it was just like, do what you need to do. Bitch, fuck out of here. I don't do that. I don't do that. Excuse me. That's the second F-bomb. People that used you to be my sister listen. act exactly alike. You guys are twins. <laughs> my, no, I'm serious. My sister is exactly just like you. <laughs> so let me ask you this before we wrap this thing up. I know you got stuff to do. So let me ask you this. Um, let's talk a little bit about your announcement uh, concerning your, your health scare and what, what initiatives are you taking, uh, to help others who are going through what you're going through? Oh, um, you know, <laughs> well, one information is everything when it comes to breast cancer. And I've learned so much just being my own Guinea pig over the last two years. And especially that first year when I was literally just on my own in the wilderness, like figuring it out, all the research, all the, um, everything, you know, protocols and resources and all the stuff I've gathered for myself, I'm going to share with every other woman who's going through it because you know it, it's up to you what choice you wanna make with your health. It's always up to you. You can either get up, work out every day, eat right, drink right, take care of yourself and do that for your life or do that for as soon as you realize you need to do it. Or you can wake up one day and realize that your body is broken because you haven't done it. And then you have to start doing it, right? And I'm not saying that all um, you know, cancers and things that happen to your body that are in that really detrimental category are your fault. But I am saying that most of the time you have something to do with it. I know I did. I'll just speak for myself. I was not taking care of myself. I was emotionally stressed out. I was, you know, managing circumstances. I never in my life should have been managing. I was uh, not taking care of myself in terms of what I was eating. I was not working out consistently. I was trying to like lose baby weight and I was doing stuff for the sake of that. But that's a different way of handling your body than your overall health being the priority. And so I've learned a lot. And the first way I'm going to share that specifically with, you know, women who are dealing with breast cancer and, and Black women specifically who tend to be the, the highest mortality rates when it comes to this is an ebook because I think that's uh, the best way to share right now. You know, it's something fast. People can get it quickly. It can be free and and it can be helpful. And so really that'll just be, a, I don't know, like in my mind, I'm still working on it. So I see it as like a collection of, yeah, all the things that I've done, but also some of the things I haven't done because I've learned from my own testing, some of the things that are effective, like mistletoe doesn't work in my body. My body tested completely zero of efficacy for mistletoe, but it has helped people I know. And so I think it's important for women to know that that's an option and, and not to take the tea. I spent hundreds of dollars on teas and pills before I found out that teas and pills aren't effective for mistletoe and before I found out it wasn't effective for me. So I wanna help women save money and time, you know, and, and all of the work that I've done, I want it to be useful for someone else. So the ebook, hopefully, you know, I'm, I do everything by myself. I need to be better at accepting help. But a lot of this stuff, there's not like, it's not like somebody else can help me because it's, it's yeah it's research stuff I have to do right, right. like who else is going to know like so 
hopefully all of this will be done by my birthday. The second thing I want to do is to start really bringing in money uh, to help women who can't access these alternative protocols um, that I have been so blessed to be able to access financially to be able to do hyperbaric chambers and vitamin C IVs, which are thousands of dollars a month, to be able to have their own infrared sauna that they can get in every night you know, and do the detox that that allows through the sweating, to be able to have all the access to the books and the information and the meditations and the trampoline, like everything that I do that I know has been so effective for me, I wanna be able to just sin. Like this isn't about creating a nonprofit, although that probably smart, like would be a smarter way to do it because I'd rather just spend my own money and save my, my time on the red tape that happens with nonprofits and the time it takes and blah, 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 blah. And they, Bad. Can I just get some money and buy this stuff? Thank you. That's how I like to do things. I'll go buy it. So, but there's like a whole package I want to send to women. There's about 20, 25 women I'm in touch with right now that I have a list of that have reached out to me since me sharing what's going on, um, who are also going through it, but don't have the resources and don't have the stuff, right? Even if you choose conventional, like I was saying before, personal choice, do what works for you. I didn't choose conventional, but for women who did, even they need to detox. Even they need to take better care of their bodies. Even they need the information. Even they can supplement. Even they should know about CBD and THC. Like all of the stuff that they could do in conjunction with that their doctors are not going to tell them. And it's not because those doctors are in some kind of big conspiracy, you know, or anything to, to keep you sick. I do have some conspiracy theories about the medical industry as a whole. But the individual doctors, I think, are amazing people who genuinely want to help. They are handcuffed Absolutely. by the industry. They're Absolutely. not allowed to tell you I totally some of the stuff agree. you need to know, totally right? Agree. And it's not their job. Like, you're not going to get nutritional advice from your oncologist because he's not a nutritionist. <laughs> so it's up to us as individuals, individuals to be our own advocates yep. and to, to determine for ourselves what we're going to do. The medical industry is a tool, right? And right. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, they're an asset, like a tool. Like, I'm a carpenter. I have a garage full of tools. All of them serve a different purpose. I don't expect my hammer to do what my drill does. And we have to stop expecting people just because they have a white coat on, it doesn't mean they know everything. It means they know what they know. And what they know is valuable and vital, but it's not everything. And it's not the totality of what you might need as an individual to help save yourself. I want women to know that it's up to them to save themselves and to turn this around because no one else can do it for them. And because I've learned that my, like the hard way myself, I think it would be, I'd be doing myself a disservice and my legacy on the planet if I didn't share it. If I didn't consistently and continue to be the person who I've been for you know your whole life <laughs> and mine too, that you've been watching me on TV, I've given you the truth. I've given you information. I've tried to help your life. And I've given you something to, to learn and something to be inspired by. If I can't continue to do this through this experience, then it's a waste of my time. And I think I was given this experience for a reason, you know? So let me go ahead and step into it and do it. And um, so that's what I plan on doing. I'm gonna share my experience via, and I mean like, like video, like I've taped everything. I'm gonna share that through an app. So it's private content. I need my own platform. I don't want my videos taken down. I don't wanna have to fight with YouTube over content over what Girl. I'm saying, because it goes against the industry. I don't, what, I don't care about your opinion. I need my own platform. So I've created an app 
and it's a really simple app. You know, it's not like it'll probably expand as things expand, but right now it's super simple. There's a subscription service on it. That is the health journey where you can see really, I mean, and be ready for it because it's not for the, the, the stomach week or the heart week. <laughs> like you need to be ready to watch me go through it. It's I've recorded everything. I burned my breast. There are these huge bubble burns. Oh, I mean, wow. it's, some of it's really gross, but for the sake of let me show you what not to do because I would never want a woman to repeat what I've been. The things that I know didn't work that were just like dumb guinea pig things that I could care less because I'm a good guinea pig, but nobody else should have to do that. And, and to see what it's like to go through the alternative route because it's very different than what we see the conventional route being, you know? And even that, we don't get to see that in depth of a, of a look sometimes, but I take you into every place that I've gone that's let a camera in. So I'm working on editing that down. I'm hoping to have it done by my birthday. It'll be a gift that I ask people to give to me to educate themselves and to um, to sign up for the subscription and to get the ebook, which will be completely free. The subscription's like six bucks a month or something. It's like, take me to a latte every month, right? Let's go on a journey together once a month. And there'll be new content added every month until the whole story is told. And with um, part of the proceeds of that subscription service, I will be buying the women who I'm in touch with. And then hopefully that list expands as people find out, here's what I'm doing and do you need this? Um, I'll be sending them the whole kit. And each kit is like almost $5,000. So I definitely can't do it on my own, but if you uh, if you give me your, um, if you do a commercial for it or whatever, we'll play it on the network here. Thank you. We'll Thank you it. so we'll much. I will. It. I'll be doing some kind of commercial. I, you know, I'm we'll still put it in it rotation. Out. We'll put it in rotation because a lot of women need to hear this and they need yeah. access. And there's stuff that they have no idea can help right. them. That's simple, like flax seeds. You know, if they have hormone positive breast cancer, flax seeds have been shown in so many studies, at least three that I've read myself, to be more effective than even tamoxifen, which has horrible side effects for your body. And that's like 30 grams. It's a lot of flax seeds, but there's ways you can get that in your diet. And we have to we have to unlearn what we've learned because we have been so miseducated. And we think just because we know it, it's true, but it's not, you right. know? And, and one of those things is our taste buds. Like our taste buds are liars. We've trained them to lie to us. We've trained them to think that if it's sweet, it's good for you or you want it. You know, we have to go with what we know we need to eat and then train our taste buds to eat that. And this is the genius of the human body. It will do what you make it do. I That's promise it. you it will. It does every time. It's just you're not making it do the right thing. Right. It will adapt. We are adaptable beings. And in these bodies that are super adaptable, we can do absolutely anything with them we see people doing it with you know weightlifting and and bodybuilding and transforming their bodies from this to sure and it's possible internally as well and so you know i'm i'm living it i'm doing it and and i want to share that experience as we wrap it up let me ask you this um how did you get into singing and carpentry our fundamental people are really important right my everything goes back to my grandma so carpentry i saw her fixing things in her home. And I was a kid who was just rambunctious and I broke stuff a lot. And every time I broke something, she'd make me fix it. If it was fixable. Um, glass, she didn't make truckers. <laughs> but like the, her table that I kept breaking, she would give me a screw and give me her drill or her you know, screw gun and she would show me how to fix it. She's like, every time you do it, you got to fix it. So I just got in my mind that I could fix stuff. My brain worked like that early. I was able to take things apart and put them back together. Like I I really have a mechanically inclined brain. So maybe she saw that, maybe she didn't. I think she just really didn't want stuff broken all over her house. She was like, I'm not fixing it if you broke it. Right. Um, so she taught me how to, how to fix things. And that passion for being able to fix things is really, I think that's when that started. 
started I love, the TV, and then- I love the show you did on TLC. I watched it. It was really, really. Oh, really- thank you. That was that the uh, while you were out. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, and I did a pilot with HGTV that was much more like me fixing stuff. But yeah, I, it's no, really that's what like, I meant. HG, the- I meant HGTV. Sorry. Oh, HGTV. The yeah, I said yeah. TLC. I didn't see the TLC show. I saw the HGTV show. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one was fun fixing the the young couple's house. Yeah, that was um, dope. I love that. They didn't like my initial idea. My initial idea was there is somebody in the yard. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. They're blowing the yard. But anyway, um, that didn't sound right. They're they're blowing, they're blowing the, yard. the yard. They're blowing the leaves. <laughs> in the yard um i i wanted to do a show catering towards single moms that did okay. these motivations single but they you know they thought it was like not um i thought it was too narrow of a group i was like do you know who your viewing audience is because <laughs> i can't be right anyway it made me feel like here i go fighting with these networks about what i want versus what they want i'm not doing it so i just was like okay we can do it your way this time um but Eventually, uh, if I get to get to that, I'm, I'm really on this health kick right now. And I think that's what my calling is for now, but I might get back to that. But I still do carpentry and I just really felt like I, I'm passionate about it. And I spent so much time on TV and I loved my experiences on TV, but I wasn't passionate about doing TV, right? And it wasn't like the thing I thought I was here to do. So I was still searching for what that was. And I was at a house I was living in trying to create a shoe shelf for myself like a rack of shoes. And I was having such a hard time. I've always owned tools. I've always loved tools. Home Depot and the tool section has always been my calm place. That's like my Zen place. I would just walk around and touch the tools and look at the new things. It would calm me down, especially during the talk show years. I would go to the 24 hour Home Depot in Jersey and just calm down. That was like my place. So that's always been my love. And so I just was struggling with trying to get this shelving made. And I finally was like, Somebody has to be able to teach me how to do this. Like there has to be a class or, so I got online, started searching for it. And I found LA Trade Tech downtown had these weekend classes where you could come learn how to do like, um, they had one for cabinetry and like finished carpentry and stuff like that. And I was like, well, yeah, well, where's the one for shoe racks? You know, and I'm like, well, what? How? I kept searching, kept searching and finally found a class on like, um, I, it was carpentry 101, but something, something tools. And I knew, I was like, that's, that they, they need to teach me how to, they're going to teach me how to do it. So it was really along that search that I found all the classes I wanted to take. I signed up for, I was like, I had this excitement building in me. The more classes I clicked, like the semester was going to start in like two months. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take this or oh, I'm going to take this or don't take, I was getting excited. And I was like, this is how I want to feel all the time. Okay. This is what I've been missing. You know, right. this is. If I felt like this about work, I could show up every day and be happy, you know? So I said, well, maybe this is what I need to do. So I just, I was following my happiness. I was seeing it on the horizon, peeking out at me going, I want you, you know? And I just kept pursuing it. And I ended up in a full-time class load for carpentry. And my teacher at the time, he was like, why aren't you gonna get a degree at the end of this and I was like I can get a degree at the end of this he was like absolutely you have to have these other you know pre uh, the GEs and stuff I said well I have a degree like well those GEs work and we kept troubleshooting he was like you could totally have a degree in this and I said well let's do it because I have my my BA stuff from Howard and those things could cross over and it just worked out I literally didn't intend to go get a degree I intended to go learn specifically what I was looking to learn and it turned into a degree and I was so grateful like I walked across that stage with a 4.0 with my hand hand. like I was the only person who showed up with a hammer I was like I don't care I'm gonna carry my hammer (laughs) 
and um that was it was i was you know i was in love so That's i was amazing. ready I, this is what i wanted to do and during that time the agent that i had at that short period of time she was like so you won't show up for a meeting about this because you're in carpentry class and right I was like, yeah she's like okay uh i was frustrated i was i'm such a frustrating client i know i apologize <laughs> i had to be myself whatever and so i kept turning down work turning down work and i was like no this is what i'm gonna do i'm not gonna miss class i would show up at you know class started at seven i was there till four i was there on time i had the best notes i i took notes in different colors i like rainbow notes because i like things to stand out i'm a really good student and um i was a really good student for carpentry because i really love it so when it finally came time for me to figure out how to get back to work and i was you know i had um this whole tumultuous kind of personal life stuff and i was coming out of this relationship and I was about to just be figuring out how to take care of my child. And I was like, I got to work. So what do I want to do? And I was dreading. I was like, I cannot go back to TV. And then slowly the idea, I was watching HTTV a lot and, you know, see hearing about, I was like, well, maybe I could go back to TV if I went back like that, because this is what I love. So how do I turn this into something that makes money, right? That's how do I get the bag out of this? And that's, that's how the, um, the, the pilot came up. But you never, they didn't pick it up? They didn't. Um, but because the, I guess at the time they were doing those pickups, they were being bought by um, scripts. Oh, so the yeah, whole yeah, thing yeah. was changing and they were okay. like, we're not doing anything. We're not buying anything, but they kept me on their radar because they liked working with me. And so when this other show came up on TLC, that was a reboot of why you were out. They were like, oh, she's perfect for that. So I kept working with them and I still work with them. The show that I'm doing next with TLC is another um, unexpected tell all from their teen pregnancy show. I don't know when it airs, but we just filmed it. So. Nice. TLC, I, I I like them. They're a great network, That's and they great. um they have some really interesting interesting stuff going on. But it's not carpentry, but still, I do carpentry, you know, when I want to, because I have my tools in my garage. So I wanted it to be what I did on TV, but I'm gonna do it regardless of whether or not it's on TV, right? So and then you're singing. I love, I love. I know you gotta go in a second. You're singing. I want to hear talk about that real quick. Oh, God. when did you start singing? Probably when I was a little girl, because. I would, I would be you do it for fun, it. right? You don't tour with it. You just do it for fun. Is that what it is? Oh yeah, it's just totally fun. We're not, okay. yeah, it's fun. It's an out, it's, it's music therapy, honestly. Gotcha. And there have been some songs that have come up that we all really like, like it's my jam nation family. Um, and it all started on the couch at my friend Ben's house and gotcha. he and my friend Lucas, they were just jamming. They were literally were just, you know, music has always been the human language. That's right. why it's so universal. That's why it goes global when right. there's good songs because it really is a universal language. And so I think music is also very healing. It has been for me. And they got together because they were, you know, both having these crises kind of things in life or maybe not crises, but just like difficulties. And when Ben brought me in, our sons connected at, a Barnes and Noble around a Thomas the Train set. <laughs> and they're, they're within like two months of each other. So they're the same age, so adorable. They were like three years old and going, you are my best friend now. And we uh. To, uh, it was amazing. And then so Ben and I, like Ben is his son. And then I was there with my son. And we kind of like, you know, the parent, awkward parent thing, like, oh, hey, our kids are friends now. <laughs> like, right, right. And so it was like, okay, hey, we should probably meet. And we said hello and started talking. The kids were playing at Barnes and Noble. I mean, it just, and he was like, okay, well, clearly they want to get together and play again because both the boys were like, I want to see Langston, I want to see Liam. And so we were like, it's adorable. Let's do it again. So we would plan these play dates. And the more I got to talk to Ben, who's the dad, um, he was like, we were going through all the troubles in our lives, you know, commiserating and single parents kind of. And he was like, you know, you really should come to this thing we do. It's jam. I don't know if you, you know, have any 
desire to do music, but it's really just this outlet. You can bang drums, you can get all this stuff, this frustration out. And I was like, well, yeah, you know what? I, I do, I, I don't know that I can sing, but I imitate other people well. Cause that's really, so to answer your question, I started singing when I was a little girl because I've always loved music. Like everybody sing with the radio, sing in the shower, right. all that stuff. I used to sing on the wings of love at every family gathering every year. And they used to have to sit there and I would torture them and sing the entire song. You know, that song is long. And a lot of words like, too. Oh God, here she comes. <laughs> you know? I was that kid, Aries. So but I never took it seriously. It was always just I singing feels good to me, right? And it and then so I graduated to like karaoke and I would do karaoke and I love like Alanis Morissette and Amy Winehouse and all these strong female voices that I would imitate those. But my grandma played a lot of jazz in the house and I listened to Dinah Washington and you know just classics uh, in her house and just all this music influence would happen. And my mom and dad were transcendental meditators, so I heard a lot of um, I uh, like Indian music. Um, with my mom too. And so I just had a lot of musical influences in terms of what I would hear. So when I was doing karaoke, I would do all those favorites from Alanis or whatever. And, and I started really getting good at imitating them, right? Just sounding exactly like them and doing it exactly. And then someone said, well, that means you can sing because you can sing like them. And I was like, I can't sing. I'm imitating Alanis. And I always kind of played it down because I never, I think people go, oh, if you can sing, you're supposed to have a music career. Right. No, what if you just like to sing? Same. What if you just, right? you know? So right. everybody wants to make things like a thing. Like, what if it's not a right. thing? What if I just enjoy it? Right. What if I just like it? Right. So cut to, I would do karaoke because it was such a great outlet. It felt so good to get out there and just and scream out some Alanis, right? And again, I was going through stuff. I needed this outlet. Then Ben tells me about Jam Nation. It didn't have a name at the time. It was just jamming on his couch. And I said, I can't do that. Like, it, uh, do you guys do, you know, can, is it karaoke? Because that was all I was interested in doing is karaoke. He was like, no, you just come, you say, well, what am I going to sing? How do I know what I'm singing? If it's not karaoke. It's all been this evolution, right? And so it started from on his couch and I would literally go in there and put a scarf over my head because I was so embarrassed singing in front of people. I had this, I just couldn't do it. I could talk in front of millions of people, but I could not sing in front of like one other person. And uh, what's funny is I had written songs before and I love songwriting. I'd written all these songs and I had friends who were like producers, you know, in their, in their closets and stuff, they'd have a sound booth. And so I'd go in and go, I want to hear how this sounds. And it was really for the sake of making sounds, but I still wasn't like, oh, I'm trying to sing. I just loved writing. So I did some music with a friend and I hated how my voice sounded on it. My voice sounded like weak and shaky and I was still very embarrassed like I still had a thing I wouldn't sing in front of people so it's hard for me to belt it out like I did at karaoke but then when Jam Nation came around it's just a collective of people who love to create music together and there was no pressure it wasn't about okay now, now sing or let me give you something to sing and do it like this it was just like whatever comes out of you that's what it is and it was freedom it was freedom and it was acceptance of whatever came out, you know? And then that allowed me this safe space to kind of deal with crafting what came out. And so it, something could come out and I go, I don't like how that sounds, let me try this. And it became this experimentation with my voice using kind of the sounds that I knew I could create from imitating other people, but then making it my own sound, right? Like, well, what, what does that sound like if it just came out of me, if I wasn't channeling Alanis, what does that sound like, right? And so it was just literally like a two year evolution of 
being on this couch every Thursday, you know, and getting more and more confident and more and more okay with whatever came out, even when it sounds like shit, like it's okay, you know? And now here I am with this amazing group of musicians, like they're real musicians. They really know how to play and I'm kind of still just experimenting, <laughs> but what's come out has been so freeing for me because it comes out as a melody, but also lyrics. And the lyrics have been about my life, you know, and the mm. lyrics have been about what's really going on with me. And now I get it. Like all these people I interviewed at MTV about their music. I'm like, what's your inspiration? How does the music come And What is it? I get it myself now. I'm experiencing it myself now. And I understand the power of the expression of your voice. And now I'm not afraid of it anymore. So- you write songs too? All the stuff that is on there I've written, like all of that oh, is just wow. me singing, whatever comes up. Somebody will start, well, you know how the jam works. So somebody yeah. will start playing something yeah. and then uh, my mind might, you know, I might get something come down or sometimes I literally hear it and go, oh, and it just, I open my mouth and lyrics come out and melody comes out and all of a sudden we have this song. But yeah, that's all, that's all me. Wow. The jam stuff anyway. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, but it's spontaneous, top. and I, that's kind of the only way it works for me. When I sit down and try to write, nothing. I have to be in a room full of people who are just creating in the yeah. moment. And then yeah, whatever comes right. out, I have to capture it on record because I won't remember what it was. I so get what you've stuff. seen on my Instagram is just stuff we we captured because we're trying to record it. You know, we're trying to say, oh, we know we're live. We know we're not going to remember it. What does it sound like? And I want to hear what it sounds like. And so we've recorded it. And some of the stuff I really like. Wow, that's amazing. Some of it sucks, and some of it I really like. <laughs> top five, top five favorite things to do. Ah, definitely hanging out with my son. I created this amazing little boy along with his dad, and he is—he is so much me and so much his dad. It's this beautiful little blend. And I just, I love him. He's a fun kid to be around. Now he wants to play too many video games and I don't do that. So he's disappointed. You don't want to play with me. I'll play Legos. I'll play board games. I won't play video games. I just don't want to do that. And he doesn't get that many video games when he's with me. So, but just spending time with him and talking to him, he's such a smart kid. Um, he's a smart ass too, like I was. So it's like, I'm getting it back. Now I'm like, listen, I called and apologized to my mom profusely a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, was I like this? Was this how I was with you? Oh my gosh. Son, you should do, you know what? You should, you should do stand up. You funny. Did I? No, I can't. I'm too embarrassed to do stand up. I could never do stand up. But spending time with my son, he's almost 10. So, you know, that time is more and more valuable because he's going to be a teenager at some point soon and he's not going to want to hang out with his mom anymore, probably. I don't know. I think he's, I think we have such a connection that he's always going to want to just come hug on me. But I love him. We're going to a driving movie this weekend. So I'm excited. Um, and then I'd say singing, yeah, with the Jam Nation. I need to probably exercise the singing with other people a little more because I am pretty much only feeling safe with this group of people. This is like my jam family. These are the people that I evolved with and this is where I'm comfortable, right? Um, but I feel like that limits me, you know what I mean? I, I, can I evolve to a place where I can just do this with other people? I don't know, right now it's, it's all jam, but I love them and they're so amazing. They bring so much out of me. Um, and then, you know, when I'm in a relationship, I really like being with the man I'm with. I'm one of those women who as, as strong and badass as I am, that's only on my surface. Like when I'm in a relationship, especially with the, the right kind of partner, I am like a caregiver. I go right into that mode. I went into with my grandmother. Like I want to shower my man. I want to cook. I want to take care of him. I want to massage him. Like I'm a caregiver girlfriend. 
Um, and I really like doing that. And where, where, where do where do where do I sign up at? No, I'm <laughs> where, uh, where, what's the website? Listen, I'm one of those people that like if you lost me, you a dumb man because I'm the street right now. What's 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 the website for this again? Where's the where were you married once? I was never married, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what's the website? Number four. The website to date. Listen, right, right. listen. Is that is there a bag involved? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that is one of my favorite things. I'm a real not gushy, but I just I love being in love. I do. I love being in love and I love taking care of the person I love. So that's a big deal for me. Um now I gotta pick number four. Number four. Yeah, um, while I'm going to Safari, look for your website. Hold on. <laughs> number four. Number four. I actually really enjoy. This is a weird one because I never thought I would say that. I really enjoy working out right now, and I okay, think it's because yeah. I've embraced how yeah. good it is for me, and I'm seeing the kind of results I want in my body as well as like internally and externally, I should say. So I'm seeing the results internally as well as externally, and I'm really enjoying that because. It's important to me to, to live in the body I want to live in right now, right? Yeah. And I'm really passionate about that. So I really do enjoy working out. Um, and that burn. Yeah. That burn be good, yeah. you know? Like, ow, but yeah, this is weird. Um, what else do I enjoy? Number five, last one. I used to enjoy food, but I don't enjoy my food that much anymore. Well, I that was going to be my next, that was my last uh, top five was what's your favorite food? So what's your favorite food? Top five. My favorite foods used before, to be all the foods you're not supposed to eat. Post, you know, cancer stuff. Post, pre-cancer, my favorite foods. I'm going to say this is making me go want it. <laughs> Crispy chicken tacos. Ugh. With really good rice and beans, I'm a I'm a San Diegan baby. We got the best Mexican food in all accounts. Oh, I live here. Well, I'm that's born, right. Yeah, well, exactly. Live, yeah. yeah, borderline. You don't live down in Southeast where I'm from, but yeah. Um, and then sushi. I love sushi. I love Italian food. I love a good pasta with yeah. like clams and wine. I miss wine so much. Mm. Why are you making me think of this? I used to Sorry. love wine. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, and then, you know, my favorite go-to used to be pizza. I was a pizza connoisseur. Really I was like, Italian. And you, I was getting pizza at Whole Foods when you saw me. Yeah, I was going to say exactly. Right, it was a cheat day. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, yeah, but I do, I love, those are my favorite foods, but I'm really, I was a, I was a sweets-aholic. And so cakes, you know, uh, all chocolate cake, cook, I'll, chocolate chip cookies. My grandma used to make the best chocolate chip cookies. Ugh. Oh, the best chocolate chicken. And I love seafood, like crab legs, smothered. Uh, I want a vat of butter and crab uh, legs. I can't eat any of that anymore. So thank you so what's, for reminding oh, so, me that so I have then, to go downstairs and have some freaking broccoli and navy beans and brown rice. Thank you. So that's your post food is, is broccoli and brown rice. Is that what it is? Broccoli, navy beans are actually a way more nutritious than black beans. So I switch to navy beans and I make them myself. So I have the, you know, dry beans and I soak them for 30 hours. And uh, Dr. Aleem Muhammad has an amazing navy bean soup recipe. And I make that probably like once a month and it lasts for like a whole week. Um, and then I'll just do regular plain navy beans over like brown rice. I'm back into grains because I passed the stage of fighting cancer where I needed to really starve the cancer cells. So now I'm in the stage where I need to really nourish my body. And excuse me, I know the ver like the, the the jury is really out on grains, but I'm a I'm a grain lover, and I like I think starches are important. I think starches are yeah. vital for the human body, and right. you know, if you're working out, you can handle them. If you're not combining them with the oils and stuff, I think 
um, fried oils and all these saturated fats we get from meat and also the rancid vegetable oils that we eat in way too high amounts are one of the biggest health threats right now. I don't think it's grains <laughs> um, and, I, and I don't think it's, I mean, I think it's refined sugar, but I don't think it's like fruit sugar and carbohydrate sugar, right? It's that refined right. white sugar that we need to avoid. So the more I'm getting into it, the more I'm learning about all these gray areas, you know, and these like, yes, yes, no sugar, unless it's fruit sugar and yes, no, you know, no white flour, but you shouldn't have some whole wheat. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm learning as I go and it, and it changes. I've learned about this overheating of our food and how dangerous that is recently. And that's tripped me out because all the different ways that I've eaten over these last two years, I've oh, always man. overcooked the food. Right. Wow. So once you learn that component, so now I do slow cooker um, for my grains and, and starches. And I do just a steam basket with, you know, fresh water, steam, uh, spring water is the only water I use uh, for my veggies. And that's it. And my food is super boring. So thanks yeah. a lot, Carl, for messing it up at the very end of the interview. The good thing is I'm really disciplined. And so I, um, I don't care. Like if this is what it takes for me to live a long time, I'll eat broccoli all day. I don't care. I had a really good run on food I'm not supposed to have. And I give myself one day every, it used to be every month. Now it's every four months. Because if you're doing the right thing most of the time, you can do the wrong thing once in a while, right? right. You can Absolutely. have a day where you lose your mind and have what you want, as long as you don't extend that day to be a week, a month, a year. You just keep it to that day. You can do that and then get back on track immediately. And I usually do like a detox cleanse or I'll do a fast for two days after I've been bad and, and I'll rinse everything out with water. You know, your body's adaptable. That works for your, that works for you as well. So my mom used to, um, my mom would only let us eat sugar on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Wow. Good mom. It. After that, See? it was health food stuff all the way. Carob cake, carob cake, I think it was called. Oh my God. My mom used to feed us chocolate. Cookies with honey, made with honey instead of sugar. And, you know, some of that stuff, the, the pecan pie with honey was actually pretty good. You could get that recipe and sell that now. People will buy it because everybody's trying to get healthy because we see the detriment of all these right. years of eating wrong. It's an accumulative effect on your body and it damages you beyond belief. I mean, you know, when you talk about things like cancer, this is this is an accumulative, accumulative right. disease. Years so it and didn't years. happen overnight. Right. This is because you've been doing the wrong thing for too long. And now your body's like, you know what? I can't do this. And this is what happens. It's, you know, it's unfortunate, but it, the, the upside is you're in control of it. And if you've been doing the wrong thing and you have a result, you can do the right thing and get a result as well. Sickness is a result of doing right. something. Wellness right. is a result of doing something. And right. it's up to you to determine what you're going to do. And so I feel really empowered and I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good and I want to share good. <laughs> That's good, actually. I'm going to write that down. Share good. That might be the title of something I do soon. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know I've taken up all your time. I appreciate That's okay. this. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you for doing the podcast. Hope you come back and I hope we can um, do some work together at some point. I'm sure we can. I see you doing all kinds of great things in the entertainment film world. I am. Thank you, Carl. It's nice to finally talk to you. Nice Thanks to for running into me randomly in Whole Foods. And while you're on that, let me say congratulations. I know firsthand how difficult that is. And so good for you and keep it up. And tell you something. I know. Awesome. So, yay for you. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Lewis, for doing the show tonight. I really appreciate it. Until next time, everyone, you be blessed. Stay safe. 